Welcome to the Unblocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of rambling wrecks. Welcome back to episode number 68 of Unblocking Crypto. Holy cow, packed agenda for us today, Hal. Welcome back, as always. Oh, yeah. Let's get started. Yeah. So let's start with the SEC. <laughs> the SEC just came out and said there are 37 cryptos that they deem securities. And how they chose these 37 out of the 15,000 that are out there, I'm not really sure. Uh, but they include XRP, which I'll talk about that one in a second. Ton, Library, Decentraland, Dash, Algorand, Tron, Luna, and even Filecoin. And there's a bunch of other ones that I don't even know what they were. But that's really interesting because at the same time, the SEC and XRP are in a a case trying to determine whether or not XRP is a security. So even though a judge has not formally decreed one way or the other, the SEC has come out and said XRP is a security. When if you listen to all the updates, the judges seem to be ruling or agreeing on the side of XRP on their version of how XRP falls in the Howey test. So it's kind of funny that SEC is strong handing their way into all of this as usual. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, they won't make a decision. They won't get, provide clarity. But when their backs against the wall in a in a case, then they'll all of a sudden find thirty seven um, tokens that they're going to deem securities, including Luna. Which what's the point of even making that decision? Yeah, exactly. Well, the other interesting piece on the XRP SEC stuff is the Hinman files, which is apparently some documents from people in the SEC from many, many years ago, the judge officially said those were going to be released. And the SEC has been trying to get the, them not to release that. It's supposed to happen, I think, in early June, like the 6th of June. And both sides have asked for a week to look at that to determine what their response is going to be to that. So the ripple side of the, the, the aisle is pretty excited that that's going to get released. And they think that will help turn the tides. and finalize this whole debacle that's going on, but uh, I guess time will tell. Yeah, I mean, it seems like this Ripple thing has been going on for two or three years. Yeah, and the SEC just announced that they're going to hire a new deputy director of legal and regulatory policy. So the lady that they're hiring is a huge fan of Gary Gensler. And prior to this, she wrote a white paper saying how great a job he was doing. So that's <laughs> not really good for anybody that is a, a crypto advocate. Yeah, yeah we'll see. Yeah, so the other thing to talk about from a macro perspective, we've talked about BRICS and golly, I don't know if that's up to like 20 something countries at this point that want to be a part of that. There is another group of countries called like ASEAN, A-S-E-A-N, and that includes 10 countries, which is like Cambodia, Indonesia, Laos, Thailand, Vietnam, and a few others. They have come out and said that they want to try to trade using their own currencies and not finalize in the U.S. dollar. So I think there's some talk on how BRICS and ASON can somewhat work together and come up with a, an agreement. But I don't know. They're still coming a lot just coming out so as usual the us dollar is looking worse and worse from a long-term perspective as being this reserve currency that everybody wants to use 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like these are like the first steps, you know, it may take years or a decade or whatever to actually see a substantial percentage of global trade in non-U.S. dollars. But this is kind of how it starts, right? Yep. And then I know we've been talking about the debt ceiling and maybe we'll see something happen by June 1st. Who knows? One of the quotes that Biden said is that he doesn't want to agree to a deal that protects crypto traders. And the reason that he's mentioning that is what is being proposed by the Democrats is eliminating the ability to do the tax loss harvesting. And then in addition to that, they would also ban the ability for tax deferring on real estate swaps. And the catch behind all this for what the Democrats are saying is that this would create about $40 billion a year in additional revenue by eliminating these two. The other side of the aisle, the Republicans are looking at it from a different perspective and saying, this, it isn't about revenue coming in, it's it's about spending going out. And what we need to do is find a way to cut $4.6 trillion of spending per year, which if you look at those two numbers, there's a 100x difference between the two. <laughs> so uh, one, it would take 100 years of revenue to get to that $4.6 trillion. And during those 100 years, you would have, I mean, it just would have been an exponential thing, right? I mean, if you're spending $4.6 trillion every time. So... I don't know what's going to happen with uh, the debt ceiling because no one seems to be able to agree on anything, but it's still a whole mess. Yeah, as as someone who's done the the Bitcoin wash sale exemption in order to take some losses to to wipe out some gains to reduce my tax liability, and somebody who's done ten thirty one exchanges on real estate transactions. I mean, it's nice. Like it, it, it helps reduce your tax. It, it really helps you take your, your this year's tax liability and pass it on to future years, right? It's not that, that forty billion dollars in increased tax revenue. Well, you're decreasing the future tax revenue, right? At, at ten thirty one exchanges, you just kick the can down whatever taxes you were going to pay on the, by selling uh, a property. You just say, "Hey, instead of paying the taxes now, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna roll those gains into the next property, and when I sell that property, I'll pay the taxes then, or kick the can down the road with another 1031 exchange." And so you can daisy chain them, but eventually you got to pay the taxes. And so that there, to me, that's it's intelligent on the government's part because you're able to let real estate investors grow portfolios faster where with greater gains where you get more in taxes uh so to me that's that's disingenuous to say that you're going to save on tax revenue and and kind of the same thing on uh on the tax loss harvesting and and being able to to sell and and rebuy an asset immediately instead of waiting 31 days it's just a timing of when you pay those taxes like you're going to pay the taxes you don't get away you don't get away with it you know you're buying it back and that's resetting your cost basis. So you're, you're, it's not a, it's not dollar for dollar tax. I, I, th- I think he used the word tax evasion, which is not the right word, right? If you reduce your tax liability using the, the tax laws and rules, that's not tax evasion. Tax evasion is lying about your gains or losses so that you don't have to pay taxes that you should buy the rules you should pay. Tax avoidance and, and tax liability reduction is just, doing it's just i mean that's like saying you're doing tax evasion because you're taking the standard deduction right 
that's just a rule in in the tax law that is available for people to take so that they can reduce their tax liability it's the same with tax loss harvesting and wash sales and it's the same with 1031 exchange it's it's dumb and it's also great you're going to increase your tax uh revenues by 40 billion dollars which is less than half of what we gave to ukraine in 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 funds and equipment like that's not it's not even a drop in the bucket right but you're going to hurt yourself in the future when those taxes would come due when those assets get sold and not wash sale or um or 1031 exchange so this once again it's just it's just it sounds nice it all it is is democrats being able to say oh we need we're going to increase taxes on rich people that's it <laughs> yeah while well, limiting growth Right. And kicking the can down the road is kind of a good kicking way to the can it, down right? the road is yeah we're tax rich people kick the can down the road neither one of which actually work we'll let somebody else worry about it we're we're doing the right thing which is kind of bs so we're some on, other no it's fine go ahead yeah. I'm, I'm, so, I, I, I can complain about politics for <laughs> so some other positive news coming out of texas they just passed another crypto bill they seem to be pretty active in that space and now they were requiring a proof of reserves for I think all the exchanges and everybody that that deals with crypto. So you could argue whether that makes a difference or not is a whole other issue, but at least they're trying, right? So it shows that you theoretically have all the reserves in place that you say you do and can be double-checked at any time, which is almost more so than any other industry out there today. Yeah, but uh, crypto is kind of in a good position to actually do that, right? Because it's, it's, it's not like your reserves are like, oh, we got some real estate and we got you know, like some some assets whose whose value is subjective. In crypto, it's like yeah, click a button and run a totals up all of your the value of all your assets at market price, and then you're done. I mean, that's that's easy to do, um, especially if you gr grow your business doing it, right? If you if you don't do it, and then if when your business is huge, you have to start. That would suck, yeah. but. Yeah, I mean, you know, getting on the front end of it, if it's built into your company culture and everybody knows that you have to do it, it doesn't matter who your CEO is. It's just going to be a part of who you are. Some companies do it, so I think I don't think that's a problem. And I think it's great because th that's really the only way for investors to know what's going on. Like after all of this FTX block, I mean, like BlockFi. BlockFi, when I first started using them, they they had fidelity as their custodian for the crypto assets when they went bankrupt uh ftx alameda was their custodian for their assets no transparency no announcement that they made that change nothing like it's not in any of the emails it's not in anything and so you know that sort of thing would make uh the time between ftx's collapse and blockfi's collapse was enough time for me to pull 100 percent of my funds out as uh, like 98 percent of my funds so uh, a lot of people wouldn't have gotten rocked if they would have done that. Yeah, speaking of which, I think uh, the book about Sam Baker SPF is supposed to be coming out soon by the same guy that did The Big Short. Yep. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm intrigued to see when that happens, but totally different subject. Um, yep. Coinbase was in the news here lately, too. I know we talked about Coinbase One, I think, a long time ago. Coinbase One is... Coinbase's subscription service where you pay like $29.99 a month and you pay zero fees on all your trading, which can be beneficial depending on the, the amount that you're doing. And then it also gives you some additional staking bonuses if you decide to stake on their exchange. 
the interesting piece about this is it's now in a beta and it's going global. So they allow UK, Germany, and Ireland customers to get access to this. And from what it sounds like, they're almost creating a separate entity that is not allowing US customers to be a part of this to keep it separate from a regulation perspective with everything going on with the SEC in the US because they worry that at some point they could have to leave the US completely. Yeah, I mean, as a business, that's the sort of thing you have to do when you can't build a business and then the regulators completely eliminate it for you. You need to protect yourself. On a similar note, um, I listened to a lot of videos from the Bitcoin conference this year. It was much quieter than normal. There wasn't nearly as much marketing. I didn't see it as many places. Um, but the first thing I wanted to talk about was Jack Mallers and Strike going more global. They've previously been essentially limited to the United States, but Jack Mallers got uh, his company established in El Salvador, and he's moving the headquarters of Strike to El Salvador, and that has opened up. I can't remember the number of countries, something like 50 countries that he can now operate in. 65 is what I 65. heard. 65 countries that covers 3 billion people. Um, m not much of Europe or none of Europe. Uh, Europe seems to be really tricky for him to, to do business in. But it's a ton of on-ramps for people to get from fiat into crypto. It's a ton of low fee. You know, Strike's not interested in making a lot of money, which is a, kind of a fascinating business model. But if you're getting low fees on as on an on-ramp from fiat to crypto, you're going to be hurting everybody that's that's playing these same games uh, and helping people that are just trying to move Bitcoin or money around the country or the world. So this is, I, I'd say it's a good thing. One of the things, you know, it's been a year since the last Bitcoin conference and the last Bitcoin conference he talked about, move, you know, having point of sale service in Walmarts and Targets and kind of everyday stuff. And I, I I haven't seen any follow up on that or I haven't seen that in in person. So I'm not sure what the deal is there. But I think that this Bitcoin conference is like, hey, this is a crypto winner Bitcoin conference. Things, you know, all the the the, st the speed at which the announcements were coming out when um, when crypto is red hot. Business doesn't move at that speed. Right. So you may give the announcement, you may have. But actually implementing the stuff, actually getting it into stores, actually making things happen takes a lot of time. And so, you know, I think that this the cyclical nature of of crypto and Bitcoin to be like red hot for a year or two and then ice cold for a year or two. It's like they're motivated to get to make a bunch of things happen and, and companies are open to getting into crypto for two years. They get them into contracts, they get them opened up to it and then everything goes ice cold and they can actually execute those plans. And so I think that's part of that. So after Jack Mallers, I want to talk about Michael Saylor. Michael Saylor basically got up and talked um, in a in a one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. And his whole theme was that moving his company to the Bitcoin standard was a good move. Despite the Bitcoin price dropping, despite Silvergate Bank collapsing uh, and him having a big loan to them, you know, it's like everything's working out. His enterprise value is 10x what it was when uh, when he started buying Bitcoin. The, the Silvergate loan that he had, he ended up being able to buy it at like a 22% discount as they liquidated things. So while he'd rather have the loan, um, it was still not a bad uh, 
not a bad gig for for those guys to to get out of that loan. It was also their highest interest rate loan uh, and their nearest term loan that they needed to pay off. You just seem to be able to win. You know, when you get it, when you when you understand the game and you short dollars and go long on a some other asset, you just seem to do well. So that's you know, and he's always on top of things. He's a pretty positive guy. Listening to him, he's, he puts things together pretty well. He's pretty smart. He doesn't sound like a total loony conspiracy theorist, but he's got that. He's got a little bit of that, which I think you kind of have to have to, to do anything other than just follow what everybody else does and, and uh, invest like everybody else and, and get caught up in the same problems as everybody else. So, so that, that one was, it was a pretty good one. And then they had three politicians, three presidential candidates or former presidential candidates speak not a big fan of politicians uh but they had uh, rfk jr uh speak as a democrat they had vivek ramaswamy speak as a republican and then tulsi gabbard as an independent um all three of them all three of them sounded like they understood bitcoin like rfk said that he his interest was speaking into bitcoin when the canadian truckers strike hit and and he's a very pro freedom guy. Um, he doesn't sound like your normal Democrat. It it didn't have Democrat talking points. He said basically that when Canada froze the truckers' bank accounts, they may as well have had a CBDC or a social credit score because those guys were not charged with any crimes. They were just locked out of the financial institutions and. So, you know, he viewed that as, as a very anti-freedom move and a very uh, backdoor way of, of governments getting what they want without going through the due process. He wanted no KYC below the bank and exchange level for crypto. So you can have a node. You don't need KYC for, to run that. Basically, that separation to me is like keeping crypto like cash, right? You don't, your bank knows your, your address and your phone number and your social security number, but if you buy something in cash, it's just a transaction. So, um, so he said some good things. He said he considered pardoning Russ, uh, Ross Ulbricht from Silk Road, which got an applause. But one thing I found interesting, because he's an environmental lawyer, he's not a politician, despite his last name. But he said the environment shouldn't be used to suppress Bitcoin, because there's too many ways that you can use it to be in, beneficial for for the environment. So he. he he sounded good, but that's his job. Um, you don't get elected if you don't sound good in front of the audience. So he he, he was speaking to Bitcoin people, and he sounded like a Bitcoin person. Well, I don't know. Biden got elected, so <laughs> yes. Uh, and then so Vivek Ramaswamy, his uh, overlying theme was the government is using backdoor tactics to get what they want, um, whether it's using ESG money to steer companies to act and behave in the way that the government wants them to in their hiring practices or in their investments or projects that they do. Um, you know, you, the ESG money doesn't flow to you if you do a pipeline project out of Alaska, but you do get uh, investment if you do windmills. So uh, that's just like the government doing, the government getting what they want without passing any legislation. Uh, same thing on the social media side, you know, as far as pressuring social media to suppress different speech based on COVID stuff or uh, any government 
related things, they can suppress that. So it's not really a free speech violation, but it's the government restricting speech. But he did have a, I did like what he talked about. He, he talked about El Salvador and he, you know, since implementing Bitcoin, their crimes down 99% and homicides are down 99%. He's like, did, did you, you know, having Bitcoin as legal tender do this? Not really, no, but the culture shift of having confidence in yourself and in your country and your economy to, to do that Bitcoin conversion has the impact of making changes, making people feel differently about their country. And, and he didn't say it, but it's like, you know, and the U.S. could use a little bit of confidence. Like, I feel like when you read social media, Americans aren't very happy with America uh, un- universally. And so, uh, you know, that, that that was a kind of a decent point to make. And then Tulsi Gabbard, uh, she, she, they all sounded like conspiracy theorists, right? Like, if I listened to this five years ago, I'd be like, these clowns have no chance of being elected. <laughs> they sound insane. Um, but you know, she talked about getting canceled if you don't fit the narrative in Washington. And, uh, you know, she, she had, um, her Google, her Google AdWord account was canceled during the, uh, during the debates in the last presidential election. And so she ended up dropping off once she, she was getting a lot of steam. She was like the most Googled candidate in, after the first or second debate. And then her Google account was locked for a week. And then when they opened it back up, uh, you know, they were kind of behind. So it's kind of funny uh, for her to say that. And she actually was like, RFK Jr. knows a thing or two about this because the conspiracy, the conspiracy theory there is that the CIA killed his uncle and his dad. So before the internet, right? So that's how you cancel people before the internet. But her biggest applause when she announced, you know, she she said that she has she left the Democratic Party. Um, that might have been one of the biggest applauses that I heard <laughs> in, in, all of the, in all the different speeches. So... I, I, you know, you got to listen to these guys. Vivek mentioned that he needs 5,000 more individual contributions in order to get on the debate stage. And if Bitcoiners put him across, then he'll make sure that he brings up sound money and Bitcoin in, in the debates, which I think was a, a nice little uh, carrot to wave in front of Bitcoiners to, to get them to donate because you only need to donate a dollar. You know? um, so the, the politicians got up and spoke. Uh, you know, I've heard these guys speak in different venues and stuff and i still kind of like what they say but it sucks because every time i like something uh it fails miserably and nobody else likes it, it the politicians i like are never successful and i mean it's it, it's just it sucks but at least they you know uh even vivek talked about the overton window and getting bitcoin in the conversation now in in the presidential election cycle because the next presidential election cycle it'll be a major thing to talk about they did talk about the fact that the happening is going to be going on right at the election or a few months before the election. So uh, you could see that that ramp up in Bitcoin price and crypto excitement right around election time. So it may it may put itself in the uh, in the conversation. There was a there was a panel on ordinals, which I still don't think I know if that's going to matter or not. The guys that started the ordinals. They were, it was like cl- a clown show. Like they were dressed up like wizards. You know, it was like a, it was like a libertarian national convention. You know, where like some people talk and they sound really smart, and you're like, I mean, I can get behind this person. And then there's somebody in a chicken suit. You know, it's like, <laughs> crap. This is this. There's still a lot of clown show involved in this whole thing. So, 
uh, you know, they're like, yeah, we broke Bitcoin. Da, 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 da. The other guys were like, yeah, transaction fees are going to restrict this. You can't break Bitcoin. Uh, you know, you're at a certain point, you, your transactions aren't important. You're, you can't pay 200 bucks to, to inscribe data on a single sat. Like you're not going to do it. So that was, uh, you know, the ordinals thing's still early and trying to figure out what's going to go, what's going to happen there. But I don't even know if that one was worth watching. Now I was just curious about it. And then, Can you do that on a layer two, like Lightning Network, you know? I would think so. I mean, you know, there's just a little bit of data that that's in there. Um, but like, uh, the guys that were like anti-ordinals, they were like, you can just prune this off of your node. Like if you, if you, you know, they're saying they're, they're breaking Bitcoin because they're loading up the, the blocks are larger than they should be. And so that requires node operators to have more memory and, and have more expense. You know, you hear a lot about full nodes and people running full nodes where they have every block, every, all the data in every block. You don't have to do that. Like you can go back and, and prune some of the data from the blocks and in order to keep your memory requirements down and so they're like we, we can just prune all that data if you if you're running and if you want to run a node you can still run the bitcoin network you can still operate the bitcoin network fine you don't have to have that i mean some people will run full nodes and some people won't so that was kind of an interesting piece because you know the node stuff i understand it but i don't, I don't know the details i think i saw somebody trying to mine bitcoin using a raspberry pi which is the equivalent of pretty much buying a lottery ticket and hoping <laughs> yeah. that you hit it one day. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. I think somebody, I think in the last two years, a couple people that are mining on small, like single miners and small stuff as a solo miner, not even in a pool, have uh, have gotten the block rewards and, and mined a block. So it's pretty, it's you know what I mean? It's what you get to do. Like, but even if you're, even if you do have people mining on Raspberry Pis, it, I mean that just adds to the decentralization of everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's definitely not a bad thing. And then it was kind of interesting because you know this Bitcoin conference is in this crypto winter, everything's slow. So they had kind of a, a retrospective series um, that was like, like what happened basically, like what happened in the credit and lending markets, what happened to DCG, what happened to public miners, what happened to exchanges and FTX. I didn't listen to all of them because I kind of know what happened and they were just kind of reiterated everything. It's leverage and bad business decisions happened, right? Like a lot of companies didn't have transparency. They didn't have the knowledge of what they're actually investing in. They didn't have risk mitigation and they were leveraged to the hilt and money was free and private equity money was piling in. So they screwed a bunch of stuff up, but it was kind of good to hear people like bitcoin people in companies that are surviving because they have been around a long time they've seen what forces companies to fail in in the crypto space which is almost always leverage and uh, leverage or outright fraud and lying and so i think if you avoid those two rails you can run a business um even if it's even if it's a lending business on bitcoin you can still run it successfully and so it's kind of cool to hear people that you know, believe that they have an industry uh, in in lending Bitcoin and talk about what those other co companies did wrong, what their companies do right and, and why, you know, that you kind of have to stick to the, you know, it's Bitcoin like requires honesty. You know, you can't you can't trick it. You can't uh, you can't over leverage yourself because if the Bitcoin price runs away from you, you're toast. Or if the Bitcoin price drops significantly, you're toast. 
Um, so you almost have to run a, a pretty upstanding business in order to be successful for a, period, a long period of time. So it, like, it seemed like the, the Bitcoin conference was slow and it wasn't super well attended and there wasn't a lot of excitement, but like, that's what happens when the price is down and nobody's really talking about it. And there's not a lot of, uh, not a lot of motion, but next year will be in Nashville in July, which is a short drive for me. Uh, so it'll be tough for me not to go. And I think my daughter's birthday will be right around there, but maybe we can just all go and it'll be a, just like a family vacation <laughs> type of trip. Your intro but, um, to Bitcoin, going to yeah, the first Bitcoin conference near you. Yeah. You're, <laughs> welcome to your set. Time to go to Bitcoin conference. <laughs> well, that's pretty good. Uh, you talked about mining, right? And one of the interesting things that's still happening out there is Celsius, who went bankrupt. There's a lot of talk from a couple of different companies to buy out Celsius. And the main reason to buy them out is the mining facility that Celsius had put together and people want to get access to all those Bitcoin miners and actually get that up and running again. Or I mean, I guess it's theoretically running at this, they won't have access to it. So I don't think it'll affect, right? I don't know, but I'm assuming it won't really affect anybody that had assets with Celsius. I know they, they, they're they in the middle of the first distribution that I've gotten so far, which is good. The next one isn't until the end of this year. I don't know if if they are acquired, does that mean that they'll use that mining to repay back some of the lost money or, or what? But uh, it is, I mean, yeah, to your point, there's still a lot of excitement about a business model, especially around Bitcoin mining. Yeah, I, I don't really understand why Bitcoin mining is so attractive right now, because the price isn't anything special, you know, mid 20s, the hash rates through the roof. So on average, you know, if you mine for a year, assuming the hash rate even stays where it is rewards if you're pool, if you're in a mining pool your rewards are, are are tiny so i'm there must be a, there has to be a lot of people out there getting cheap and free power because mining and retail power prices doesn't seem viable at all right now or their view is that bitcoin prices are going to go up Right, so get it in now while you can. Maybe I don't, I don't know. I guess yeah, I agree. Yeah, but you can start any. You can start any business that makes dollars and just buy Bitcoin cheaper than you can mine it. I, I haven't figured it out. I have run miners and stuff. Uh, but that said, I've got a um, my brother-in-law installed solar. They've got kind of a small farm. He installed a solar uh, panel on a on a stable, and so every day. He uses power from the batteries to run refrigerators, freezers, well pumps, things like that. And he, 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 you know, he wants to run his batteries down to maybe seventy percent and then charge them. But they're they're fully charged by noon. So from noon to six p.m., he's got power that just it does nothing. He it it, it runs up a little bit of his stuff, but you know he he, he has intermittent power coming in. He just I'm like, look, you need to run a Bitcoin miner in your basement like you turn it on like when your batteries are full and you're making power that you're not using you can mine bitcoin and then when the sun goes down the just set it up so the bitcoin miner turns off like then you'll be done and then do it the next day there's an interesting guy in ireland ish somewhere over there that is using biofuel and it from his farm right he's he's taking his all the crap from all the animals turning into biofuel 
running a generator and then selling a lot of the electricity back to the grid. And the stuff that he can't sell, he's actually running Bitcoin miners. And, yeah. and so he's actually seen a lot of positive benefit from being able to use the excess energy to get something out of it, right? So, I mean, yeah, I hope that continues to be the case for a lot of people is once you find all this excess energy that you have, why not help out something and get paid to do it? Yeah, I mean, like, I'm curious where all that power is coming from. But, I mean, if, if it's happening on a small scale to my brother-in-law, uh, I, it's got to be happening to people that own large solar fields and, yeah. you know, things like that. I mean, once, once you pay to have those installed and you have some kind of a maintenance plant, you're going to be making power that isn't being used. Like, at some point, no matter what. Same with wind, right? Wind blows at night. Nobody's really running their air conditioning lights and all that electricity during during the night. So that power could just be going nowhere. Yeah. So changing subjects a little bit, Ledger was in the news here recently. They just announced a service to help recover your seed phrase. And the whole concept is they take your security recovery phrase, split it up into three different encrypted images and send it off to three different places. You pay $9.99 a month. Um, if you ever do lose it, you just have to prove that you are the person that originally set this up and you do that with your passport or an ID, yada, yada, yada. And then these three locations, put it all together and find your recovery phrase and give you your crypto back, which for a lot of people that are getting into this uh, cold wallet space, that, shoot, I lost my security phrase for my first ledger so this is kind of interesting or you know maybe it would have been worth 9.99 a month the crazy part about all this is ledger has been roasted in social media for this because the concept of this is um it's only for the like ledger at nox but the update that apparently is coming people are worried that this would give Ledger a backdoor into getting the private keys off their Ledger and access to their coins that they hold on a cold wallet for exactly that reason, so nobody else has access to it. So we're not really sure what's going to go on. I know Treasure and a lot of the other guys have drastically reduced their prices their prices to take advantage of <laughs> Ledger's misstep. Uh, but it, you, there was, if you look on social media, you have people that are burning their ledgers and smashing with hammers and just going crazy. And I think one of the ex-CEOs of Ledger came on and was almost in tears of, he can't believe this is how, this is uh, what people are looking at it. And that's not what it was intended to be. And yeah, so it's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, Ledger's got to know better. Um, especially, you know, they had a security breach maybe four years ago where the email addresses and names of customers, you know, like because you get the ledger shipped to your house, so they have your name and your address. Uh, those names and addresses got out because some cyber attack got a hold of it. So you're one or two uh, layers of security away from somebody coming in and hacking ledger and getting the back door seed phrases, yes, they're in three different locations. So you got to, they've got to do that three times. But that's not how Bitcoiners think, right? You don't outsource your security. I do think that some level of, here's the thing if you're Ledger, 
you are the it's not your keys, not your coins guys, right? You hold your if you want to hold your keys and you want that kind of self sovereignty and security, you use Ledger. If you don't, you keep it on Coinbase, right? You lose your password to Coinbase, you call them up and they they uh, give you a reset password solution. So you can't be both, right? Because you're it's not possible uh, if you have the ability to back someone up and provide them with uh, their own passwords or seed phrases, then they aren't the only ones that have the passwords or seed phrases. And so uh, to me, uh, it's like just bad business decision. It stinks because I like the ledger more than the treasure. I had a treasure that just bricked out, like just went to nothing when I tried to set it up before I'd even put any Bitcoin on it. And I'm like, Ooh, I don't care for this at all. Like this, you know, the, the, the ledger's never had a problem like that. I'm not sure, uh, you know, custodying your own Bitcoin is stressful. <laughs> like it's kind of nice once you lock it in and you have your plan and, you know, you got your seed phrases and they're stored and you feel good about it. But like until you get to, until you figure out that solution, it's pretty, it's pretty nerve wracking. And so, you know, if, if Wells Fargo had a solution to holding your Bitcoin for you, you know, I would consider putting some of it on there just so that I don't get zeroed out if I if my my plan doesn't work, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I, not a smart move by Ledger. That, that's not good. Yeah. So speaking of exchanges, I mean, you can put your money on Coinbase, but then, of course, you always have to worry about something crazy happening with the centralized exchange. Hotbit was the latest uh, centralized exchange that has mentioned they are planning to close their doors as a centralized exchange. Uh, they just announced it the other day. I think you have until the 21st of June to take any of your coins off of that. So they're they're based in Hong Kong. They had like 5 million customers. And uh, they just they decided that regulatory issues and people leaving centralized exchange has made the business model very difficult for a centralized exchange. So um, for those of you that do want to learn more about cold wallets, shameless plug is in the show notes. There is a, a link to some of the research that I've done on all the different ones out there. Ledger and Treasure are two of them, but there's man, there's a ton of them out there and there's more coming that are really intriguing that I'm continuously looking at. My wife doesn't understand why I have so many freaking cold wallets sitting around our house <laughs> these days, but uh, it yeah, it's becoming more and more important, especially over the last nine plus months with everything that has happened. Yep. So as always, I do want to uh, mention some of the NFT news because there is some kind of cool things going on from that perspective. The first one is Animacoa Brands has a subsidiary called TinyTap that just raised about eight and a half million dollars to really go after the education market and utilize NFTs. And not to dive too much into it, but it sold some Genesis NFTs that allowed people to record uh, certain projects, classroom projects, and then they get a percentage of that income based on the people that use it. So it is enabling a lot of these third world countries to have a much easier access to some of the things that maybe the first world countries have had at all times. Pudgy Penguins was also a huge NFT project from about two years ago. They just launched an actual product, physical product that they sold on Amazon. And in two days, they sold over, or they sold about 20,000 of them, um, which is equivalent to about $500,000 in revenue. Each one of those 
actual pudgy penguins comes with a birth certificate and a qr code that gives you an nft on chain and it gives you some added benefits into the pudgy penguins ecosystem so kind of cool to see that that's happening that it's kind of bridging the gap between real world and nft space yeah i mean if uh if like tops and fleer and don russ pick up on that as far as like a certificate of authenticity goes you know, there, there, there's probably room for that. Yep. And then the last thing that I had was we we had talked about Steppen man, quite a while ago. Steppen was an NFT program that allowed you to earn more credits the more you moved. Right? And it was a little bit of a difficult thing to work with. But what they have just recently done is integrated with Apple Pay. So which is interesting because Apple has not typically been a huge crypto fan with everything they were doing and now they're integrating nfts into their their apple play store apple pay store so that now you can get money on and off i think pretty easily from that perspective so cool to see that's happening how successful it's going to be is still to be determined right it is kind of a niche thing that is uh still yet to be determined if it's going to be successful or not but kind of cool nonetheless cool Awesome. Well, that was a ton of information in 45 minutes or so. Is there anything else that we missed? Uh, there's a lot that we missed, but I think that's good <laughs> enough to know. Awesome. Well, great talking with you as always. And we'll talk again next week and see what the crypto world does in, the, in between now and then. Sounds good. If all of these crypto conversations leave you with more questions and you're looking for answers, I've created a product that dives into most of those answers, including why crypto, how to set up a cold wallet, and some of the more advanced strategies for dealing with crypto. Check the link in the notes below and hope to see you there.